Well, hello everybody. Good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, it feels it just feels really great to be able to be back in person with y'all this morning and to get to worship Christ together. And um, looking forward as well as we have done every week while we've been apart and worship together. Uh, looking forward to opening God's Word with you and allowing God's Word to be the thing that continues to shape our time together and uh, shape our uh, our affections and our direction and our attitudes as a church. And if you've been uh, joining us online for worship over the last quarantine season, you'll know that over the last number of weeks here we have been. Uh, taking a look at the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the gospel of John. And, and uh, we began a few weeks back in John chapter 8, and we saw that, that in each of these I am statements, Jesus is deliberately and emphatically claiming that he is God. He's the same God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush as the great I am and, and who commissioned Moses to, to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt and who had now come in person to rescue his people from the greater enemy of slavery and sin to sin and death. And so in each of these I am statements, Jesus is claiming that he is God. But we also have seen over the past number of weeks, and by taking a look at each of these individual metaphorical statements that Jesus uses, is that they're each intended to reveal something specific about who he is, about the kind of God that he is, about the kind of rescue that he has come to bring. We saw in, in John chapter 6 how Jesus, the great I am, claims that he is the bread of life who, who not only completely and eternally satisfies the longings in our hearts and in our souls, but who also sets us free from slavery to desires and passions that never really satisfy and never really fulfill, but instead just leave us more hungry and more thirsty than when we began. And again, we saw in John chapter 8, Jesus claiming that he is the great I am, that he is the light of the world, who not only sees the truth, who not only knows the truth, but who is himself the truth, who has come near to us so that we might, that he might open our blind eyes so that we might be able to see the truth and know it and follow him into it. And last week we began a bit of a two-parter in John chapter 10. We saw Jesus, the great I am, claim that he is the gate for the sheep. We saw him claiming that, that he is the only entrance into the fold of God, that he is the only entrance into a saving relationship with God, into his family. But as the gate, he, he is not just the entrance into right relationship with God. We saw he is also the one who guards us. He guards us from the attacks of the enemy. He was, well, he guards us from our own foolish wandering as sheep. And he does that so that we might be able to experience the abundant life that he has in store for us, both now and forever. And so this week, as we continue part two in John chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus going on to claim that in addition to being the gate for the sheep, that he is also the good shepherd of the sheep. And it's a claim that when understood rightly should do two things for us. One, it should both radically humble us, and it should also at the same time immensely encourage us. It's a claim that should at the same time bring us low, yet elevate us incredibly high if we would understand it rightly. And it has been my prayer this week that God would be gracious to allow his word by his spirit to do that for us, to both humble us and to encourage us as we see and wrestle with Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd. And so to that end this morning, I want to just highlight for us what Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd reveals about who he is, about who we are, 
and about how we should respond to those two realities. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll read our passage and dive into our time in God's Word together. God, we are thankful for uh, being able to gather together again. We are thankful to get to be with one another uh, outside on a beautiful morning here. God, but most of all, we're thankful for you. God, we're thankful that um, while we are together, you are with us. We are thankful that while we are apart, you as well are with us. And that the gospel is the thing that brings us together. And so, God, we come with grateful hearts to get to enjoy one another. But most of all, God, we come with grateful hearts to get to enjoy you and to celebrate you with one another. And so, God, we ask that you would be gracious in our time together to, to humble us and to encourage us as we wrestle with your claim to be the good shepherd, and that in doing so, we would come to love you more and, and, and give our lives more and more unto your glory and unto your purposes. God, I pray that uh, to that end that you might fill me with your spirit so that I might be able to not just preach what is true, um, but do it in a way that has power, God, and uh, that can't happen without you. And so, God, we pray that for our good, for your glory, you'd meet us in your word this morning. And so we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 10. Uh, You can follow along in your uh, fancy worship guide handouts this morning, and uh, we'll read God's word. John chapter 10 begins this way. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them also, and they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life not only, uh, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words, they were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed, he's raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. For can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
You see, to understand what Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd is telling us about who he is and who we are, we, we have to start by recognizing the context in which Jesus is speaking these words. You have to remember, as last week, that these words Jesus is speaking in John chapter 10, they, they come right on the heels of, of, of John chapter 9, a chapter in which these religious leaders have just basically harassed this man and his family and, and excommunicated them from the family of faith because this man was going around telling everyone that he was blind, he was born blind, but that Jesus had miraculously healed him and that now for the first time he could see. And so it's into this context that Jesus is claimed to be the good shepherd. It's not just saying something about him. It's also saying something about the people that he is speaking to. It's saying something about them as well. You see, Jesus' words to be the good shepherd, as he speaks them to these uh, shepherds of Israel, these Pharisees, they would have come across as a scathing criticism. They would have come across as, a, as an affront to these leaders who were failing to shepherd God's sheep, who, who instead of caring for God's sheep had just harassed them and treated them poorly. And so for the average Jew, Jesus' claim, especially in light of the way that these religious leaders had just treated this, young, uh, treated this man who had been healed, they would have immediately sent their minds back to a passage in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34 where, where God is basically just flame-roasting the religious leaders of the day. Because instead of caring for God's sheep and loving God's sheep and serving them, these religious leaders had just been caring for themselves and loving themselves and serving themselves at the expense of God's sheep. And in verse 11 in Ezekiel 34, God goes on to, to make a promise. He goes on, he says, I myself will shepherd, uh, will search for my sheep and look for them. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered. I will bring them into their own land. I myself will tend my sheep and I will have them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You see, the first thing that we need to see about Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd is, is that he isn't just saying that Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus' claim is that he is the one true good shepherd that he is God himself, and that he stands in contrast to these false bad shepherds who, who had not cared for God's people, had not cared for the sheep. And in our passage, we see Jesus contrasting himself with these other shepherds in a, in a few really key important ways. And the first is this, is that unlike these false bad shepherds, the good shepherd knows and is known by his sheep. The good shepherd knows and is known by his sheep. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. You see, in the Bible, the, the language of knowing isn't, isn't uh, primarily about a factual understanding or a set of information. You see, the idea of knowing in Scripture, it's not about awareness or knowledge. Instead, it's meant to communicate a sense of relationship. That's further evidence in verses 3 and 4 where you see Jesus says that the sheep listen to his voice. They follow him. It says, because they know his voice. They, they know his voice. They have a relationship with him. I watched a, a video this week of, 
of a shepherd that was demonstrating this very concept, this very idea. And so the, the shepherd is kind of out in this field, and he's got a bunch of people with him, and he teaches them, he shows them how to call the sheep to him. And he shows them, here's the words I use, here's the inflection I use, he shows them that. And so one after one, these people get up, and they use the same words and the same tone and the same inflection to try to call these sheep. And, and one after another, not even a blink of an eye from a single one of the sheep. Like, they're just eating in the field. It's like, it's like somebody, they're just shouting into the wind. They, they have absolutely no regard for what, the shepherd, what that person is saying. Feels like sometimes with my kids, right? Um, but as soon as the shepherd gets up and calls the sheep, he uses the same words, he uses the same tone. As soon as he speaks, every head of all the sheep in the field immediately pops up. And within seconds, they're all running towards the shepherd. Why? Why does that happen? You see, because the sheep, they have a relationship with the shepherd. They're not called by words. They're not called by a tone. They are called by a person. They're called by a relationship. You see, when Jesus says that he knows his sheep and as his sheep know him, he's talking about having a relationship with those who follow him. You see, when you have a relationship with someone, you don't just know about them. You, you know them personally. You, you know what they're like. You know what their quirks are. You know what their tendencies are. You know what their flaws are. The same is true of a shepherd with his sheep. You see, they could tell which ones were prone to wandering or which ones were injured after the end of the day. They, they could tell which ones needed to be reminded for the seven billionth time not to eat that one plant that makes them puke every time that they eat it, right? And Jesus is saying, he says, that's the kind of relationship I have with my sheep. I, I know them deeply and personally. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and he is known by them. He knows the good and the bad. He sees it all and he knows them. And while that's encouraging for us to think about, it wouldn't have been all that special for the people who had heard Jesus talk like that. They would have, that would have been like, yeah, that, that's normal. That's how shepherds and sheep work. That's just kind of how it is, Right? But what would have stood out to them is the way that Jesus compares the relationship with his sheep to the relationship he has with God the Father. You see, in verse 14, he says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Then in verse 15, he goes on, he says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. He's saying that the relationship that he has with his sheep is a reflection of the kind of deep and personal and intimate relationship that he has with the Father let that sink in for a minute. You see, the kind of relationship that Jesus has with the Father is one of perfect unity, is one of perfect love, is one of perfect community. And Jesus says, that's a reflection. My relationship with my sheep is a reflection of the, the way that my Father and I know each other. See, Jesus is saying is if you are a follower of him, if you are one of his sheep, then the reality is, is that you are both completely and fully and totally known and yet fully loved by God. That means that Jesus, he sees your sheepish qualities and that's not a compliment. He sees your proneness to wandering. He sees your inability to care for yourself. He sees your ignorance and your foolishness. He sees your attempt at self-sufficiency, which is woefully insufficient. He sees all of that stuff and yet he fully loves you. He knows your dependence. He knows it all. And yet he loves you deeply. You see, and that leads us to the second way we see Jesus contrasting himself with these false bad shepherds. He actually cares about the sheep. 
He actually really cares. He says, why? What's the reason? The passage tells us because they are his. They're his. Verse 12 and 13, he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. And so when they see the wolf coming, they abandon the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says these false bad shepherds, they're just like hired hands. They, they run at the first sight of danger because they have no vested interest in the fate of the sheep. They don't have a relationship with them. They don't, they don't really care. They're, they're just really in it for the day's wage. They're just in it for the money. In contrast, Jesus, the good shepherd, is one who sacrificially cares for his sheep because they are his and he has a relationship with them. You see, the, the, the good shepherd realizes that the sheep are incredibly helpless, incredibly hopeless without him. They are not apex predators. They are the epitome of what it means to be apex prey. Everything eats them, and it's not difficult. But also, the sheep are not just incredibly helpless to the good shepherd. They are incredibly valuable to him. Over and over, the picture in Scripture is of a shepherd who would leave the 99 to go find and pursue the one who is lost. Why? Because the sheep are incredibly valuable. They matter to the good shepherd. Each one of them matters. He cares for them deeply. He cares for them so much, the passage says, that he is willing to lay down his life for them. The word literally translated as for, it literally means in the place of. The good shepherd lays down his life in the place of his sheep. And so when one comes to attack, the good shepherd is the one who comes to lay down his life. We see this ultimately in the cross as Jesus, instead of us being the one who received the, the attack, the penalty of our sin, which is death, Jesus comes and he lays down his life in our place for us on the cross. He receives the attack of sin and the penalty of sin on our behalf for us so that we might be forgiven and free. But the passage shows us something even more important about the good shepherd, that he doesn't just lay down his life for the sheep, he does it willingly and he has the power to take his own life life back up again. You see, he is not just a loving and sacrificial good shepherd. He is a powerful king. He is the one who gives life to the sheep in the first place. He has the authority to lay down his life on their behalf and to raise it back up on his own. You see, he cares not only for his sheep, he has the power to give them life in the first place. You see, in Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd and us as the, the sheep in need of a good shepherd, you see, it is meant to reveal to us, it is meant to cause us to understand that the one way to respond is that he is the one shepherd worth following. He's the one shepherd worth following. You see, the reality is that we are tempted to follow the voices of false shepherds all the time. We're tempted to follow the voices of, of other people or other desires or other goals that will only instead lead us into places of danger. You see, in the end, all of these other false shepherds, they beckon us that we would die for them. That we would die to get them. That we would give up everything in order to have these false shepherds. But Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one worth following because he is the only shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep in their place on behalf of them. And the only shepherd who can give you real life in the first place. You see, I began this morning by, by saying that Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd to, should do two things for us, that it should both humble us and elevate us, that it should humble us and encourage us. 
You see, the reality is, is that be, and that is true because, because the reality is that following the good shepherd, it begins with admitting that you are a helpless sheep. Following the good shepherd begins by admitting that you are a helpless sheep, that you are unimpressive and unself-sufficient, that you do not have it all together, and that without him you are helplessly in danger. You see, being following the good shepherd, it requires that we admit our need for shepherding. Some of you are here this morning and you need to be reminded of, the, of your own foolishness and your own need to be shepherded by the good shepherd this morning. But others of you are here this morning and you need to be reminded that of the value of the sheep that the good shepherd places on them. You see, following the good shepherd doesn't only mean embracing your helplessness as a sheep. It also means embracing the value that the good shepherd assigns to you. Embracing the value that the good shepherd gives to you, that his life and death prove he has for you. You see, those two things, they should both humble us as we, re- as we wrestle with and embrace the reality of our weakness and our helplessness, and they should elevate us incredibly as we wrestle, as we enjoy the value that the good shepherd would place on his sheep. Yes, we are helpless. Yes, we are foolish. Yes, we are ignorant. Oh, but the good shepherd has loved us and given himself for us. And so he is the only shepherd worth following. And the reality is, is that the only way to follow the good shepherd is completely. See, the passage ends with these words. It says the Jews were divided. You see, they were divided because Jesus' words, they require a response. You either need to accept them or to reject them. There is no middle ground. You see, often what happens is that we want to be known and led and cared for by the good shepherd, but we don't want to submit to the good shepherd. We want his care for us. We want his concern for us. We want his gentle leadership of us, but we don't want to submit to him. We don't want to go where he calls us to go and to live as he calls us to live. The truth is that the only way to experience the abundant life that the good shepherd wants to lead you into is to surrender to his leadership completely. And for all of us, that will mean that there are parts of our life that we will need to reject and need to turn away from so that we might be able to actually follow the good shepherd. For us to say, Jesus, the good shepherd, we are your sheep. You have the final call. You have the final say when it comes to our relationships and our money and our sexuality and our priorities and our career and our family and our goals and our desires. Jesus, you are the good shepherd and so you have the final say. And so maybe you are here this morning and you are hearing the voice of the good shepherd for the first time. You hear him calling you to follow him, to surrender to him, to submit to him. See, and the reality is, is that following the good shepherd can sometimes be scary. It can sometimes be confusing. It will always be costly. But you can know that it is worth it because you know that he has already died for you. You know you can trust him because he's already given everything for you. And so you can trust him to surrender yourself to him and to submit to him and to follow him so that you might actually have life. But others of you are here this morning and you know the shepherd's voice well, but the truth is you've just been wandering off for a while. You've been kind of doing your own thing, trying to be your own self-sufficient sheep for a while. And you realize it's, it's not working like you know it never works, but you're afraid to come back to the good shepherd. 
You hear his voice, but you are afraid to come to him. You think the shepherd will punish me. The shepherd will, the shepherd will, will, will be angry with me. You see, but what we see in scripture is that that's not the voice of the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd is the one who calls his sheep gently, who goes and searches for them, who invites them back into relationship with him. And he does that gently and humbly. He sees, no matter what you have done or how far you have wandered from the good shepherd's love, his love for you has not changed. And so this morning, if you hear his voice, I would encourage you, let him correct you. Let him shape you. Let him redirect your, the affections of your heart and the directions of your life. Let him do that so that you might be able to enjoy the good shepherd and the good pastures that he is leading you into. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning. We're thankful for you. We are thankful that you are the good shepherd, not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd who, who loves us and who has laid down your life for us, who, who knows us and who wants to be known by us. And so, King Jesus, we ask that you would graciously help us to hear your voice as the good shepherd, God, and to respond to you and to follow you. God, for those who are here this morning, that they need to be reminded of, of the, they need to be humbled by your call as they are sheep to be, follow the good shepherd. Pray that you'd be able to do that graciously in their hearts. For those who are here this morning who need to be reminded of the immense value that you place on them as the good shepherd, God, would you do that? Would you encourage them? God, would you help us to have both of those things so that we might see the gospel rightly, that we would see our need for you and how greatly you have met our need for you? And so, Jesus, would you allow us, as we take communion this morning, to, to be shaped by those truths and to remember those realities full of graciousness, full of love for you, full of thankfulness for you. King Jesus, we are grateful for you. We need you. Pray these things in your good name. Amen.